2: I stumbled upon the remains of a bison, its carcass grotesquely mutilated deep within the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park. I'm Samuel Sam Harper, a seasoned park ranger with a reputation for my intimate knowledge of the park's diverse fauna. Over my years of service, I've witnessed the circle of life and death in all its raw and savage forms, but this, this was an aberration. A gruesome scene that seemed to herald a sinister new present. The poor creature had been mercilessly ripped apart, its flesh torn from the bone with a ruthless ferocity that suggested a predator of colossal strength and chilling savagery. The nature of the wounds were inconsistent with any species native to this ecosystem. It was clear that an unknown beast now lurked in the park a creature far deadlier than anything I had ever encountered. My quest to unravel this mystery commenced on a frigid, fog-shrouded morning. As the first light of dawn seeped through the dense canopy, casting distorted shadows over the undulating landscape, I ventured further into the park's wild heartlands. These were territories untouched by human influence, where nature existed in its most primal and untamed state. My days were fraught with peril. I battled hostile weather conditions, navigated treacherous terrain, and weathered tense encounters with the park's diverse wildlife. The isolation was all-consuming, a relentless adversary gnawing at the edges of my resolve. It didn't take long for my diligent search to yield a disturbing revelation. Evidence pointed towards a rogue organization having introduced unknown. Predators into the park. These were not ordinary predators. They were cryptids, akin to the legendary Sasquatch and crawlers, reputed for their size and raw power. My heart pounded in my chest as the implications of my discovery set in. This invasion wasn't merely a threat to the park's wildlife. It was an assault on the delicate balance of nature itself. The culmination of my harrowing journey occurred under a pitch-black sky, devoid of any celestial illumination. In a remote clearing, I came face to face with a monstrous beast responsible for the gruesome carnage. It was an intimidating spectacle, a hawking silhouette of sinew and fur, its eyes radiating an ominous glow in the oppressive darkness. To my horror, I realized I wasn't alone. Shadowy figures emerged, their cruel laughter echoing through the night, revealing themselves as the devious puppeteers orchestrating the chaos. Injured, outnumbered, but resolute, I battled with every ounce of my strength. Just when it seemed the beast would deliver its fatal strike, the hum of an engine pierced the night. A van materialized out of the darkness, and from it stepped stern-faced men dressed in somber black suits. They were government agents, their expressions unreadable as they incapacitated the beast with a stun gun. As I lay on the cold, unforgiving earth, gasping for air, I watched them haul the unconscious beast into the van. One of the agents turned towards me, his stoic face reflecting in the dim light. He revealed that they had already captured ten similar cryptids. Then, without further ado, they disappeared into the night, leaving me alone in the expansive wilderness. I was just hanging out with my friends in the alley by the Panaderia Mexican Bakery. We used the alley in the parking lot to skateboard and just hang around and talk. There were five of us and we saw this thing standing on top of the flea market across the parking lot. It looked like a large man but he had wings that were wider than a car. It was watching us, and it had very bright red eyes that looked like the tail lights of a car. It stood there making these chirping noises that we could clearly hear, even from across the parking lot. It stood there for about a minute watching us. It made us all feel like we were in danger and that it was after us. It then shot straight into the air and flew over us, the entire time it kept watching us as it flew over. My friend wanted to run, but we told him to stay still or it might chase us and it would lead it to where we lived. I silently prayed to La Virgin de Guadalupe for protection, and this thing kept flying away from us and headed off in the direction of the arch. It made us all very scared, and when we talked about it the next day, we felt that one of my friend's ex-girlfriends might have sent it after us. She practices braharia, and it just seems like something she would do. If it was meant to scare us, then it did what it was supposed to do, as all of us were scared out of our wits. New to Hiking found this trail in Griffith Park, Los Angeles that I've been going to for months. I love that I rarely pass people. I'm a loner, so it's heaven for me. This trail is not overpacked, and this is Los Angeles, so that's unusual. On this evening, I did pass a couple who were talking to their little boy about the cat up in the hill. I come to the conclusion that they must be talking about coyotes. I see them all the time. I take a few steps in the direction I'm heading and look to the side of the mountain, and there I see the most famous mountain lion in Los Angeles, P-22. I am in awe of such a beautiful creature. I really can't believe what I'm seeing. I stand and watch him weave through the shrubs on side of mountains, so easily camouflaging with the mountain. At one point he turns and looks at me directly in the eyes, and this is when I snap back to reality and the fear runs through my body. I keep eye contact and wave my arms, as I've been told to do when one encounters a mountain lion. I see him disappear in the mountainside. I typically try to avoid other humans on the trail, but this time I wish to encounter someone else so bad. The trail was lonely as ever. I walked down the mountain so fast. Next day I called the park rangers who confirmed this way, in fact P-22, hanging out in his usual spot. They're tracking him and so far. In the many years he's been living in this park, he has never been a danger to the public. Nevertheless, this is an experience I will never forget. Me and a friend decided to go look for some spots to set up for turkey hunting the next week. We were walking around the land next to the local game lands. We had permission and decided to check out the game lands as well after a while of walking down deer trails in thick brush we found a nice clearing on top of a hill and thought it might be a nice spot to set up but there was a steep almost hole dug out of the center of the hill that was filled with brush and small trees We thought this might be a good spot to sit and decided to get a closer look, so he went around it and I got a closer look for somewhere to sit with a good view when I noticed what looked like a femur, then another, and another. Turns out this hole was filled with bones. I almost took off before I noticed the first thing not completely decomposed. It was a deer, Looking around a bit more, I noticed a lot more decomposing deer and several other animals along with deer skulls, but it didn't smell like anything. Around then, my friend came over and had seen similar on the other side. Even though we knew it wasn't human remains, we still get the F out of there. A pit of corpses is still a pit of corpses, human or not. Well, I found out later that day from my friend, the uh, we started out on that's just where the road kill cleaners dump everything. Still weird that it didn't stink from just a few feet away. It was a Sunday morning, the 3rd of December 2017. I was playing the back nine at Eagle Creek Golf Course alone. The air was heavy with wildfire smoke from the Eagle Creek fire in the Columbia River Gorge caused by fireworks. I was on the 13th hole bordering Bonnie Lure State Park in Clackamas County, Oregon. My drive hit a tall Douglas fir tree about 30 feet up dead center. It made a classic wood knock sound. I regularly look for lost golf balls and often take a look over the cliff to the right side of the green. As I stepped up to the edge, I heard a grunt and a loud wood knock, followed by a loud howl. I could feel the vibration in my chest. It started with an ape-like uh, ooh, sound, and rose in pitch and volume. Immediately afterward, a pack of coyotes started howling. I ran back to my bag for my phone, but it was too late. Everything went silent. I did take some videos and still shots, but never saw anything. As I approached the 14th tee, three deer were flushed from down below, onto the course. No other witnesses, unfortunately. I believe there was a group of Bigfoot seeking shelter from the fire. If you look on Google Maps, you will will see how this would be a likely place to hide. My grandfather grew up in the small town of Sasakwa, Oklahoma. Rather, he grew up near it. He and his siblings and parents lived in a large log and concrete cabin deep in the woods. My grandfather's father had built this in the 1950s. As my grandfather has told me many times, this area is full of hauntings and cryptids. It's almost absurd just how many areas are known to be haunted to this day. I will focus on one particular tale he has told me as I feel it is the most cryptid ish. When my grandfather was a teenager, he worked with a group of Seminole on a local construction site. One day they went out walking to a site and came to a house. On the front porch sat an elderly Seminole woman rocking back and forth in a rocking chair. My grandfather met her eyes and felt compelled to look away. Having fallen behind the rest of the group, he realized that they were all staring at the ground avoiding the gaze of this woman. The chatter had fallen silent and remained so for nearly half an hour. When they arrived at the site, he went up to the site manager and asked why they had all ignored the elderly woman. The site manager's face scrunched up and he stood. He locked the door, then spoke quietly. He explained to my grandfather that the woman was known to be a stichini. Now my grandfather himself made sure that the doors to the house were locked when he explained the Stikini to me. They are witches of the Seminole tribe. When the moon is full, they go out into the woods and vomit their organs up, stringing them in the trees to keep them clean. They no longer seem human, but appear as four-feet-tall owl's creatures with no weight to their body. They then go out and attack as they please so long as the full moon dominates the sky. The stacchini cannot be killed in this form. You must instead destroy their organs. My grandfather never again saw the woman, making an effort to avoid the route that passed by her house. Whether she was truly a stacchini or not is unclear as she has presumably died since the incident. After I was told this story, I made sure to lock the doors. Even now that I'm in a different state, I make effort to not speak that word in public and to always keep doors and windows locked at night. If anyone has heard other stories of these taikini or have seen them, I would be interested in hearing it. I was driving alone in a national park, very far from people, on a bright full moon night huge clear moon, the kind of moonlight you can read by. The road went straight along the bottom of a wide flat, mostly barren valley, then banked up and sharply left onto the ridge. It was about 10 p.m., and I drove through the valley on full alert, watching for animals and loving the scenery in the crazy bright moonlight. When I hit the curve and went into that sharp uphill left, I saw something through my side window, white thing. It was rapidly getting larger in my peripheral vision, as though it had been moving parallel to me, but the turn in the road meant I was now in its path. So I turned my head and looked directly. It was white, man, shaped but without genitals and naked, a deathly nauseating white with a greasy shine, completely hairless. It was crawling on its hands and knees. But it was half the size of the car, and it was coming so very, very fast. It had a rubbery face, distorted by hate or a scream. Black eyes that reflected the moonlight. The look on its face I can't even tell you. I can still make myself feel sick from the memory. I believe that it was intelligent, and that it wanted to tear me apart with its teeth. The speed was horrifying. It went from being a small white spot to spitting distance in the time it took to make that turn. When I unfroze myself and hit the gas, it was on the road and I braced for it to run into my car door. And then it was gone. The rearview mirror showed me nothing. I have never told anybody. I've seen a few minor glitchy ghosty things over my many years, but nothing has ever frightened me like that. It was looking at me, and I don't know what it was. I can't seem to find any reference to anything like it, and I would like to know if this thing is known to folklore. If another subreddit would be better to ask, just say, thanks, edit, thank you all for the replies so far. I looked into the skinwalker and wendigo ideas, and it's a case of almost, but not quite, are skinwalkers ever seen without skins, then maybe. Can windigos be stocky instead of skinny? Then maybe. I am most intrigued by the Massachusetts story. Also, while I describe it as screaming, that's just the look on its face. I heard nothing. This happened in Newfoundland. And Newfoundlanders have no trouble telling ghost stories, and a lot of them believe in fairies, but I've not heard of a creature like this. As for the bear idea, Newfoundland has only black bears. Hell, I even tried to tell myself it was a badly lost, wet polar bear. But when I say the thing was crawling, I mean I could see its legs below the knee. I was very close to it by the end and it looked like a crawling man. I spent a lot of time in that area and encouraged storytelling in the bar. But nothing like this ever got mentioned. But as I said, I never told this story either. The degree of fear involved somehow put it in its own category as if it would be very, very bad luck to speak of it, because it had seen me too. I never thought I believed in them, but I think it was a demon. When I was 11 years old, I went camping with my dad and my stepmom in a small town in West Virginia called Barnum. The park we went camping in was called the Barnum-Whitewater area. Anyways, there wasn't a place to shower, and the bathrooms were just a hole in the ground, and there aren't words to describe how vile they were. Our cabin was nice and cozy, and was maybe 20 feet away from the river. One night, we decided to leave the campground to grab some food, because we had almost no food. So we went to get sown food. It was really good law. But anyways, we went back to the campground around 9.30, 10, and decided to drive around. Well, about one-fourth of the way around, there is Essa girl randomly standing on the side of the road with what looked like a torch. We pulled up to ask her if she was oak, and she froze. We thought she was drunk, and drove off. As we came back around, about seven or eight done buggies come around the corner, and you're not allowed to have those in that campground. We were like whatever and went to the cabin. We saw that the screen to the window was pried open like someone tried to break into our cabin. We were debating on leaving and going back to where we live, New Jersey. When a guy comes up to us with that same girl we saw in the woods, he asked
1: Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Asked if we knew her because she was scaring him and his two kids. He said she tried to tear open the tent. We said no, and he walked off, and the girl followed. We decided to get the hell out of there and while we were packing inside, she comes up the driveway and sits down on the porch and we tell her to get the hell off of the porch and she starts crying and runs away. The final time we saw her, she came up the driveway and started calling my stepmom, her mom and my dad, her dad, and we had not a damn clue who the hell this girl was. I can't really remember much about her, but I know she was blonde, and she was pretty tall. And finally, we left. Now, we called the police, but they said they couldn't help us for two reasons. One, we had already left, and two, the cops are not active after midnight. What if someone's being attacked or threatened with a gun and is about to die or something? We were in shock. So we went back and drove the freaking four hours back to New Jersey, where we live and we didn't get home until like 4 a.m. The weekend started like any other. No plans, just the anticipation of relaxation. But that all changed when my friends barged into my home on Friday morning announcing a spontaneous trip to Udi. Tamil Nadu. At first, I hesitated, but their infectious excitement won me over, and I agreed to tag along. We were a group of five traveling in a rented car. It wasn't until we were on the road that we realized we hadn't booked a hotel in Udi. Frantically searching online, we discovered that every hotel was fully booked due to the long weekend. Undeterred, we continued our journey, hoping to find accommodation upon arrival. As we reached duty in the late evening, I stumbled upon a hotel called India Hotel, located on the outskirts of the city. It had great reviews, and the pictures looked promising. Desperate for a place to stay, I called the contact number listed on Google Maps, but the call wouldn't connect. Then, in a stroke of luck, I found another contact number in a recently uploaded photo. The man who answered confirmed that they had rooms available at a reasonable rate. However, he insisted that we pay a 50% advance to secure our reservation. Suspicious, we decided to visit the hotel in person before handing over any money. Upon arrival, we found the hotel nestled in a quiet, wooded area, away from any other buildings. It was an eerie, isolated spot. My friend and I got out of the car to investigate while the others waited near the entrance. The hotel's exterior was well lit, but there was no sign of life inside. We called out, but our voices were met with silence. A creeping sense of unease settled over us as we peered through the windows, noting the tastefully decorated interior. Suddenly we felt as if we were the only people around, That staying there would be extremely dangerous. We tried calling our friends in the car, but the connection failed. With adrenaline pumping through our veins, we made a split-second decision to leave and sprinted back to the car. As we sped away, we were plagued with questions. Who was the man on the phone? Why had he uploaded the contact information at that exact moment? Why was the hotel empty when the rest of the town was packed? And why were the lights on if the place was closed? The next day we met a park ranger named Emily, who worked in the area. Intrigued by our story, she told us that there had been a series of scams targeting tourists in the region. People would pose as hotel staff and try to collect advance payments for non existent reservations. The hotel we'd visited had been closed for renovations, and the owners were unaware of the scam. I always felt safe and secure. I was 16 and had just started dating my future husband, Tom. One night we were hanging out with his best friend, Matt, in the parking lot of a local park. We were just chatting and laughing when we noticed a huge tow truck parked on the main road. It seemed odd, but we shrugged it off and continued our conversation. After about 20 minutes, it was time for me to head home. I said my goodbyes and got into my tiny car. As I drove past the tow truck, it started up and began following me. At first I thought I was just being paranoid, but the feeling persisted as I drove ten miles south to my neighborhood. When I turned into my neighborhood and the tow truck followed, my heart raced, not wanting the driver to know where I lived. I stopped my car near the entrance, just off the main road. The tow truck stopped behind me, and I held my breath as a man emerged and walked toward my car. With my heart pounding, I tried to make sense of the situation as he approached. When he was about fifteen feet away, he casually said, ''Get out of the car!'' ''No!'' I shouted, and without hesitation, I sped away. I drove around the neighborhood for fifteen minutes, trying to calm down. I called Tom, who tried to convince me to report the incident to the police. I was too afraid that my mom would ground me, so I never did. The next day, Tom and I went back to the park to see if the tow truck was still there. Instead, we encountered a park ranger named Rob. We explained our encounter with the tow truck driver and Rob's face grew serious. He told us that there had been reports of an unknown predator stalking the area, possibly looking for vulnerable teenagers. Rob urged us to report the incident to the police and promised to keep an eye out for the tow truck. I finally agreed and we filed a report together. The police never found the tow truck driver, but I often wonder what could have happened if I hadn't been so quick to react that night. One, 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 one. My wife and two kids went for a short day bushwalk hike at a place called Hanging Rock in Victoria, Australia. It's about one hour northwest of Melbourne. You can see what it looks like and get the trail info from generic hiking map page. It's a fairly short walk, only takes about an hour, but we allowed for a couple hours because we wanted to walk around the bottom and of course with kids we usually like to stop for some snacks and uh, drinks on the way up and just enjoy the place. We had not done this walk before because we are not from the area, but we are somewhat of a walking or hiking family. My wife's family are German and it's basically in their blood and is a favorite thing for all of them to do. I fall into that very well as I have always been an avid walker and hiker too. Because the weather was mild and it was the last day of the long Easter weekend, there were surprisingly not so many people. A couple walked past us on the way down and we saw another group heading up ahead of us. It looked like a family group but their kids were older. There were also some people having a BBQ picnic and some others kicking a ball around down the bottom. Before we go up, I quickly went behind a tree and did a piss making sure to not be seen. We headed up and I personally started to feel strange. I am a big guy, but I am very fit cardio-wise and I started feeling out of breath. I thought I must have just had too big a breakfast or something and so I slowed down and told the wifey and kids to slow down, too. We all eased up, and my wife asked if I was okay. The kids both seemed fine, laughing. My boy was throwing sticks and rocks, and generally they were just being kids. The uneasiness did not stop. I honestly started feeling really out of breath and as if I was being suffocated and could not breathe. I started freaking out a little if I am honest at this stage and began wondering if I was having some sort of heart attack or something so I told my kids to hold up. I squatted down on the ground and leaned up against a boulder. My wife started to look really concerned and she grabbed my daughter's fitness tracker watch and put it on my wrist. My heart rate was high, about 130, one beats per minute, but that was normal as we were going up these steps. Here is where things started to get creepy. As we waited around a bit for me to feel better, my son was now climbing all over the boulders and jumping off them. My daughter put her watch back on, but it stopped reading properly and she noticed this straight away. It's a brand new kid's Fitbit that she got for her birthday in February the time was right bit it was not reading steps or heart rate okay weird it just read my heart rate fine but was not taking hers and the step counter was not working whatever she tinkered with it for a moment while standing and then bizarrely i started to feel better and come good and so we all started off again we continued up and as we headed up we got to a rocky clearing where you could look outward you could see some farmland, and uh, generally it was beautiful. My wife was the only one that brought her phone. I left mine in the car, and she wanted to take a picture of us all. Here is where it gets creepier. Her phone was off. She never turns her phone off ever, and it, too, is fairly new. It's, a uh, Sony Xperia and is about a year or two old. Her charge lasts days if she's not watching YouTube. She tried to turn it back on, and the low battery image appeared. How is it low battery when she keeps her phone charging at night while she sleeps? And We left for our trip first thing in the morning, and my wife never uses her phone in the car because she becomes motion sick. Otherwise, but also I used my phone to navigate us there. Weird! The kids go ahead, my son is running around like a lunatic and my daughter is just walking and taking it all in, and I ask my wife "Is she thinks it's weird. Her phone is playing up and so is our daughter's Fitbit. She shrugs it off and does not even say anything. We slowly get to the top and as we get there my son, who is six and full of beans, he's been jumping around, throwing things and doing cartwheels the whole time. He starts telling us his tummy feels funny; he's now gone pale and looks like he is about to vomit. We asked if he needed a number one or two, no, nothing. He just feels sick. He says, "My wife, daughter, and I all look at each other, and I think we were all thinking the same thing, but no one said anything. We all just starts walking back out and want to get out of there. Too many weird and creepy things are now happening." that don't make sense and now my son feels sick when he was bouncing off the walks 30 seconds ago. We start walking back. My son is now deflated. My daughter is asking questions. My wife isn't saying anything. We all just hurry down once we get back. Down, we walk past the oval and go straight to the toilets. I take my son in. He tries to pee and doesn't need a, no, two, but also does not feel much better and we're just kind of sitting there thinking about what we do next. Do we leave? He feels sick. What if he throws up? Do we just chill there, go for another short walk and hope he feels better? Then my daughter just wanders off to this information board while my wife and I were talking about what to do, so we all kind of just follow her. There is a sign about the sacred aboriginal volcanic rock formations, which I had not paid any attention to earlier, the signs that is, and I start to get an unsettling feeling similar in a way to what I had on the way up, that choky, out-of-breath feeling. My son was chucking rocks at those. Things, the sacred rocks, he was running up and kicking himself off them. Pretty sure my wife even told him off for spitting once or twice. I became aware of it all and realized we were on some kind of sacred land, and here is my son acting completely disrespectful. I had taken a piss there, and who knows what other dumb crap we had done. Maybe it all had an effect. I walk over, tell my son he needs to apologize and make an offering of goodwill, and so do I. He doesn't really understand what I am saying. So I just say, come with me as I go to head back toward the pack. For the way back to the start of the summit and he starts screaming and shouting. I've never seen him do anything like this. Outside of being energetic, he is not at all a sucky or crybaby of a child. My wife comes over, asks what's going on, etc. My daughter is still by the info board, just milling about looking at things. I tell my wife my crazy idea. She gives me that look as if I'm insane. Picks our boy up and begins to walk away. So I walk back on my own. I find some similar looking volcanic rock before the summit even starts and I just go quiet and whisper. I'm sorry if we acted rude or misbehaved. This is a beautiful place. We'll be respectful. I'm sorry if my son was disrespectful. Thank you for having us and I kneel down, touch the ground and the rock and just sit for a moment in silence. I start walking back and I notice they're all heading back towards where I am. My son is now walking again. He's comes over to me looking like he has some more color in his fact and I ask him if he wants to say something to the rock like I just did and that it's fine and he says hi rocky rock rocks or something like that and I say no mate. We need to be respectful, and I tell him to say sorry, say thanks, and say something nice in his own words, and he says, R.A. Rock for throwing your rock friends around. See you next time, Rocky Rock. Rock. My wife kind of laughs and shakes her head, my daughter starts explaining to her brother what we just did, why it's important, and we kind of stand around in silence for a second, and then I'll go back and pile in the car and start to head out and go find somewhere for lunch. We get home later that evening after having a long lunch and walking around a nearby town called Woodend, and the kids playing at the playground, Both my son and daughter have had night terrors since they were about three years old. My daughter is mostly grown out of them, and my son still gets them, and I am talking. They are not nice at all. We used to think my daughter was friggin possessed when she would get them. She'd get aggressive as in spit and cry and screech. They were horrible. My son, he basically just freaks out and starts screaming and looking absolutely terrified and wanting to jump off his bed, usually. Well, here is the strangest thing. We are all asleep. That same night, after having been on the walk that day, I sort of just jolt awake in the dark because I sense something or hear something. I don't know why I woke up. I kind of put my head up from my pillow and Look around and I see a dark silhouette standing next to my wife. I friggin' absolutely shit bricks. I scream like a girl, what the if, uh... My wife wakes up screeches loudly. It's our son. He's just stood there kind of grinning and he says something to my wife. She starts asking him questions. What is it? Are you okay? Do you need to go to the toilet? He's just grinning in between talking mumbo jumbo Jim, like gibberish we realize his eyes are glazed over and he is still asleep and so she takes him back to his bed he's never done this before and with everything else that happened that day we were a little freaked out looked at each other and just weed a bed without saying anything else finally the last part of all this the next day at breakfast is we're all kind of doing our thing getting ready before school and work. My wife says to me that it's really weird she realized her phone, which was always on 24 hour time mode, because she is German and that's just how she had always had it now, is in standard 12 hour time. Mode. This is the same phone that went off on our hike. She says she swears she never changed it and she can't remember if it was 24-hour time when she first turned it back on the day before, or just now this morning. I know for a fact all our clocks and watches that my wife touches and sets are always on. 24-hour time. She even speaks that way and will say it's 17 instead of 5 p.m.,